Hey everyone, it's Peter Tragos, and before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to say thank you for listening to The Lawyer You Know. Today is our 200th podcast episode. Thanks for everyone that's been along the journey with us. It would help so much if you would leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, and jump over to YouTube and check out The Lawyer You Know page there, because we're trying to get to 20,000 subscribers. So let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Pete Sardis here for The Lawyer You Know. We are back on the Elizabeth Holmes trial. It is week nine. We've got some interesting things that happen in the courtroom, but some even more interesting things that are happening outside of the courtroom. We'll get to all those details. But first, as you know, if you like this video, give me a thumbs up. If you're enjoying the series, please subscribe to our channel. It really helps us out. As always, leave me comments. That way I know what you're interested in so I can answer your questions. So with that, let's talk about week nine. Week nine really culminates down to one very important witness. Her name is Lisa Peterson. She is an investment manager with RDV Corporation. And this particular person was supposed to be in charge of the Devos family investment funds. So as you remember, uh, Betsy Devos was the Secretary of Education under uh, Donald Trump, and she and her family obviously are worth a, a tremendous amount of money. What she testified was that the Devos family received a phone call from Elizabeth Holmes, and the phone call was basically, hey, we've got this great opportunity here, we'd like to share with you, at which point a number of people from RDV Corporation and the Devos family went to meet with Elizabeth Holmes. The basic gist of her testimony is that during the meeting, it was a very, very hyped. It's a great investment, long-term opportunities here. And they appear to have been targeting very wealthy families that were not in a hurry to have their um, investments go public, people that are actually looking for growth over the course of generations. And this is important because once you decide you're going to take a company public, you're obligated to file a number of things with the Securities and Exchange Commission. There's a lot of disclosure that's necessary. In contrast, if you're doing venture capital work, all you have to have is accredited investors, meaning people that have more than a million dollars available for them to invest, at which point the rules become far more lax as to who can and cannot be an investor. The rules become a lot more lax as to uh, what has to be disclosed, at least publicly. And this is important because if you're talking about people with generational money that are looking at investments very long term, the fact that they want to keep the company private for a longer period of time is a good thing, especially if uh, you know your technology is not exactly accurate yet. So that's, uh, again, that's just Pete speaking. I think that is the purpose of bringing that detail out uh, in front of the jury. Now, the second thing that I think is very interesting about our testimony is not what happened on direct examination, but it's what happened on cross-examination. Again, the prosecutors put the, the witness on, so they have the right to ask them questions first. Then the defense has the right to cross-examination, to ask questions, to try to poke holes into whatever the testimony was on direct. And here's the interesting part. Defense actually went toe-to-toe -to -toe with her for a long time, and it was a, a very arduous uh, cross-examination. It was a little aggressive. But I think the point got across that you are the person who is supposedly in charge of a very, very wealthy family's investment. You invested a hundred million dollars into a company, yet you, 
you know, Lisa Peterson, you didn't hire a single financial expert. You didn't hire a single science-based expert. You didn't evaluate any of the documentation that uh, Elizabeth Holmes told you that they had. You didn't actually see the technology work before you agreed to make the investment. In fact, you are a poor steward of your client's money by failing to do the most basic of things that any one of us would do when we're getting into an investment of a few thousand dollars, let alone a hundred million dollars. Uh, in response, uh, Lisa Peterson basically fought with defense counsel saying, you know, you know we, we were told all these things. We just took it for face value. A hundred million dollars. You took it for face value. Okay. And, you know, another thing that was of interest is at some point, Lisa Peterson had testified in a deposition for one of the civil cases that, uh, that preceded the criminal case. And her testimony was markedly different from what she said a couple of years back in that civil case deposition as to what she was saying in criminal court now about what she knew and what they were told. And it was kind of, uh, like I said, aggressive when defense counsel said, so your memory seems to have improved now, you know, a couple of years later, and it was, it, your memory's better today about what happened than it was a couple of years back when you actually had your deposition taken on the same subject matter in the civil case. So not a very polite trans uh, transaction, but uh, I think a very effective cross-examination. And when we get towards the end of this, I'm going to tell you why I, I harp on those effective cross-examinations. Second thing that happened is the jury got to have a little bit more flavor as to Elizabeth Holmes' presentations outside of court. From now up to now, for the last however many, nine weeks, they've basically seen her in the courtroom with her mask on. She hasn't said a word. Last week, you know, we, the investors from that Texas-based firm put on the recording of Elizabeth Holmes. So for the first time last week, the jury got to hear that baritone voice that you know Elizabeth Holmes is famous for. But they also got to see a couple more things. What they saw was the Mad Money clip. If you guys know Mad Money, uh, it is a guy by the name of Jim Cramer. He is on CNBC. And he does a uh, basically an economic and financial investment program. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes had gone on his program and touted what was going on with her Edison machine and with Theranos. And she had actually said that the Theranos machine was capable of doing all of these tests uh, at a time where other people have now testified the Edison machine could not do the tests. And in fact, they were using third-party readily available equipment to run those tests accurately or the alternative, they were getting inaccurate readings out of Edison. So that's the first thing that the jury got to see, again, Elizabeth Holmes. The second thing I think which is really damning is there's a 2016 CBS special that aired after um, kind of the, the news had broken about uh, Theranos being a scam. And Elizabeth Holmes goes on CBS and her exact words were, I am the CEO and founder of this company. Anything that happens in this company is my responsibility. So kind of a, a you know a, a jab to the heart when the testimony so far has been that Elizabeth Holmes either was being uh, manipulated by uh, Sonny Balwani or that she didn't know things simply because other people in the company were, were responsible for items that ultimately she says is her responsibility. So that's pretty much the extent of what happened in court this week. The second thing that I think is interesting happened technically in court, but it wasn't a, um, a, a matter of testimony. I think the judge is starting to get a little frustrated. And the reason the judge is getting frustrated is at this point, the judge is down to 14 total jurors, which includes 12 
people that will sit in judgment and two alternates down from 17. So there's a lot of concern at this point that the longer the trial goes, the more chance there is that uh, you'll lose two more jurors or three more jurors and have a mistrial and have to do the trial all over again. Life happens. That's one of the things that we talk about in long jury trials because you never know what tomorrow brings. So the longer the trial goes, the more chances are that you'll lose a couple of those jurors. So Judge Davila has basically said to the jury that they're going to extend the amount of hours they're actually spending in court listening to testimony because they're worried, he's worried specifically, that there's going to be a, uh, a problem with finishing this trial during the time period that was originally uh, told the jury, meaning early December, and he's afraid of now we're getting into holidays, Thanksgiving, you know, Hanukkah, Christmas, and all of these things just cause the chance of a potential problem with the jury. The second interesting thing that happened is, as you know, in the, uh, in the audience of the courthouse, there are people that are allowed to sit and watch. Now, different people are there every day because the judge has not allowed uh, guaranteed or reserved seating for anybody in this case to include Sonny Balwani's lawyers. But what's happening is as um, the press people show up and they take seats, they're all on their laptops, you know, typing away as testimony goes out. And what the judge has recognized is that there are moments where the testimony gets interesting or gets juicy. And all of a sudden, all the press people start typing furiously. Apparently, the volume of that typing is distracting to the actual jurors. The jurors have expressed that, you know, when the press corps starts typing frantically, they, they're, they're distracted by that and they're losing their attention. So the judge actually admonished the people in the gallery to include the media to say, look, you know, it, it can't just be a free for all, you know, typing as hard as you possibly can to get information out. So. Let's talk for a second about some of you uh, have commented on this. And I wanted to take a minute and just express why I do what I do. Some of you have said that I sound to be pro-defense because when the defense lawyers do something great, I highlight it. I want to just let you all understand the foundation for why you may think that, that is my perception. I'll just tell you right now, I'm trying to give you as unbiased as a representation about what's going on in this trial as I can, but there are certain things I think that happen that I, I try to explain to you why they're important, uh, and a lot of those things involve the defense strategy and the way the defense is cross-examining witnesses. Let me explain to you some background, though. Understand that in the United States, in federal court, only about 2% of cases actually go to jury trial, criminal cases, meaning the vast majority of criminal cases wind up settling or pleading out, as we say, before trial. Also, the next thing you should know is that in the U.S., the federal government, meaning the prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys, have a 99.6% conviction rate. Let me give you real numbers. In 2018, I ran the stats. It looks like in about 80,000 cases that were filed at, by the U.S. Attorney's Office that year, 320 of them were not guilties. The remainder were all convictions. To give you a little more background, understand that other countries, let's use Canada, for example, has a 62% prosecutorial conviction rate. The U.K. has about 86-87% conviction rate. The only country in the world that has a higher conviction rate than the United States is China at 99.9%. Now, I'm not comparing our justice system to that of China's, but what I am trying to explain to you is that very, very often, I, I think lay people don't recognize that the government 
expects to win, and most everybody expects the government to win. And when a defense lawyer or the defense has a good point, from a defense lawyer's perspective, I think it's it's a highlight, or from a from a lawyer's perspective, I think it's a highlight because it's rare that these things actually happen. Um, think about it from a broad perspective. The United States government has endless resources, at least seemingly endless resources. They have a uh, an army of special agents in various criminal investigation bureaus um, throughout the Department of Justice. They also have analysts and they can subpoena any witness anywhere in the United States they want. If they don't have a specialist in a specific area that they require testimony in, they go hire somebody. Cost normally is not something that is really high on the list. Conviction rate is high on the list. Secondly, the government with its special agents, analysts, witnesses, private experts have a long time in which to develop a case. They do their subpoenas. They gather the documents. They evaluate them. They determine how it is that they're going to try this case all before they get in front of a grand jury to present it to get the indictment, which is the charging document. Then understand that in federal court, there is very limited discovery. Discovery is controlled by something called Rule 16. And in some state courts, for example, here in Florida, we have the right to full discovery. In other words, whatever witness's name appears on the witness list for the prosecution, the defense has an opportunity to take that person's testimony. So there's no surprise when we get to trial. Federal court is not that way. In many cases, the courts will grant Rule 16 discovery, which basically means all of the names of the witnesses. You also get the documents, but you just get a data dump. There is no breakdown for you to help you understand what's going on here. And as a defense lawyer, you are obligated to basically immerse yourself in a case, evaluate how every piece of paper may relate to some other piece of paper, and what potentially a juror is going to testify to for the government. So when you have a moment where a defense lawyer gets up there and um, you know, off, their, um, off the cuff is able to say, hey, that's inconsistent, or wait a minute, that's not right, or I remember that there is a bit of testimony from uh, you know, a previous deposition that's inconsistent with this, that's kind of a big deal because from a prosecutor's perspective, all of this is choreographed. They practiced with their witnesses. They went through all the documents with them. They, and I don't want to say, make this sound like they coached their witnesses, but there was a little bit of um, expressing what is how a testimony should come across, you know, better terms to use as opposed to others that don't sound as good. So there's a little bit of, of art uh, to the presentation. On the defense side, though, all this happens for the first time in front of the jury. So that's why I think that you may be seeing that I'm a little pro-defense lawyer more so than pro-defense of Elizabeth Holmes because, again, when, when you're fighting with the United States government, any blow that you land is, you know, is, is something that I, I think should be celebrated. So that's what's going on. At this point, I expect that you're going to see the court really speed up the trial by making the jury either stay longer or making the lawyers prepare more in advance. That way, when we show up and they actually put the jury up in the box and they're there for trial, they're pushing through um, witnesses as opposed to having hearings or sidebar conferences and all the things that happen uh, amongst the lawyers before the jury actually gets there. And let's see what happens next week to see if we actually get more uh, more witnesses in. But at this point, that's what I got for you. 
If you like the video, again, please hit like. If you're enjoying the series, please hit subscribe. And again, ask me your questions and leave me your comments below. Tell me what you think. You think we're going to get through this trial? We've got two alternates left and we're still you know, looking like we're going to be past the 13-week deadline that the judge originally told the jury. You tell me what you think and we'll talk about it next time. Thanks. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.